not very long, 121 verses, I do believe, four chapters, uh, a little letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul to the church. So that's good for us. It was written by him to the church, but we're a church, and so uh, it's, it's good for us, and it's helpful for us, and we'll get a lot out of it. We are a church, and we are to be a church. The church is not the building or the property. The church is the people, which we talk about a lot. And so you and I need to really understand what it means to be the church, what you need to do or be or know or understand about what it means for you to be the church, that you would not think of the people that are sitting over there as the church or that they would not think of the people sitting over there as the church or that you would not think of of me or our pastors here as the church, but that you would think of you as being the church. And a letter like this will help us. You know, in sports, you always have something like a homecoming, football homecoming, basketball homecoming, and typically you see the kids get dressed up and do a homecoming court, a king and queen, and special game, and, and all of that. And y'all, y'all are familiar with what homecoming is, right? But <clears throat> churches sometimes do a homecoming. You've heard of this, right? We do one every year, usually the second or third Sunday in October every year. We have a homecoming, rather a big deal for us, you know, possibly the biggest Sunday of the year for us. We have lunch here, we have games here, we have a big annual football game here. Uh, Homecoming's really, really fun for us. But when a school does a homecoming, they're they're just wanting it to be a big event, a lot of celebration, uh, a lot of uh, awards, recognitions, a lot of hyper energy around the school. But when a church does it, it's not exactly the same focus. When a church does a homecoming, we're not just wanting it to be a party. I sure hope you understand that. We're wanting to remember our roots. We're wanting to literally have a coming home to our history. We're wanting to see, like, how did we get to this point? When did the church begin? Who, who started it? Who were the people? Who were the uh, people that taught and loved and discipled, right? We want to remember those things. This past fall, I got asked to come to my home church in Charlotte, North Carolina to preach their homecoming. I was so excited by that. What an honor it was to be able to do it. I wasn't able to go. We had too much going on that time of the year, so I had to decline, and hopefully they'll ask me again in the future. But I was really encouraged to think of going back there, a church that I was in 20-some years ago, and seeing people that taught me or spent time with me or loved me or helped me or gave money to me going on a mission trip when I was in college or took me out to eat and taught me the Bible, right? I was, I was excited about seeing people that I love and that love me because of Jesus. And folks, we really got to get what I just said. Church is about you loving somebody and somebody and letting people love you because of Jesus. It's about that. It is about us putting ourselves in position to have real relationships because of Jesus. All of you all are fine enough people to understand real relationships without Jesus. You've all got family and friends and coworkers, and you're nice to them. You probably bought them a Christmas present, you know, things like that. I'm not meaning that. I'm meaning more than that where Christ is at the very center of it. The book of Philippians will help us with this. 
The book of Philippians will teach us and instruct us to be a people that love and are loved, that are able to put ourselves in position to let people know us, love us, get into our lives, and at the same way that we would do the same thing. This is far from saying, what can I get out of church? This is more of, what can I give to church? How can I be the church? Who in the church needs me? How does God use me to build up the church? We'll get this from the book of Philippians. Read with me, if you will, the first 11 verses of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul loves these people, doesn't he? They matter to him. He loves them. They matter to him. And the reason why is because they have a history. They have a relationship. It goes back. It it exists now. And it's got some strength going into the future. Well, just a few words on the opening. Paul is there and is with Timothy. You know, Paul is a missionary. The book of Acts tells us about his travels and as he gets to all these different places, how he preaches the gospel. There aren't believers there. The Lord works. We see people saved. Paul stays, disciples, teaches, does Bible studies, uh, in in essence becomes uh, the first pastor to these people. As the missionary pastor, he loves them. He's got Timothy with him. Timothy wasn't always with Paul in his travels, but here he is, says They are servants of Christ Jesus. That's their title. That's their label. They don't take any bigger titles than this most often. They are slaves to Jesus. They are servants of Christ. He writes it to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Saint is a word for believer. It doesn't mean those who are dead. It means those who are trusting in Christ. Holy by identity through the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness that you get through Jesus. He's writing to them in Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. You know, a lot of times people get hung up on these words in the Bible that are hard to pronounce. Philippians just means the people in Philippi. But he says also, with the overseers and deacons. In 2019, our church went to an elder-led church. We have four elders here. We have four pastors. We taught you a lot on that. We're very slow in that process. We talked a lot about what all of the, are we okay? All right. We talked a lot about what um, these terms in the Bible mean. You have in the church only two positions, offices, if you will. That's it. The Bible's not real complicated. These days we've got a lot of labels that we put on uh, church positions, but the Bible only has two. You have 
elders and deacons. Now, the Bible tells us that overseers, elders, and bishops are all the same thing. And then pastors are pretty much the same thing as that. It's basically the same thing, okay? Elders, overseers, bishops, and pastors, same thing. The word is used interchangeably in the New Testament. And the other office is deacons. The elders and pastors, those people are the spiritual leaders of the church responsible for the teaching and leading. And the deacons are leaders in the church that lead with serving. It's not more complicated than that. It really isn't. It is not more complicated than that. That is what it is. You don't have to teach at all if you are a deacon. You may not want to teach. You may not be able to teach. If you'd like to serve and be a leader at serving and you're well-tested and you're responsible, you can be a deacon. Elders and pastors are those that teach. They're the ones who bear the brunt of all of the responsibility in the church to lead and disciple the whole body. Paul is saying that's who he's writing to. He's writing to the whole church. He's writing to all the believers in Philippi, the saints, the overseers, and the deacons. And then he says his familiar greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get into the body of the letter, okay? It starts at verse three. The first point for you this morning, number one, the memory of the gospel's work in the past. Number one, the memory of the gospel's work in the past. Look what he says in verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Paul remembers them. Paul remembers them. Paul has thoughts about them from the past. Paul can remember where they came from. Paul recalls how their relationship began. Paul remembers their names. He remembers their lives. He remembers the way God is working in them. He remembers their struggles. He remembers their, their successes. He remembers them. But it's not just an affection toward the past, which we all have. It is a memory of the gospel's work. It is, a, it is a memory of the power of Jesus working in their lives. This is why I began the sermon with what I began with, that it's not just love and knowing, it is loving and knowing with Jesus at the center of it. And this is what the apostle is talking about. Notice that he is thankful for them. Notice that he is prayerful for them. Notice that he is joyful because of them. Do you see that all there in verses three and four? I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Do you have any relationships like that? Thankful for what God is doing in people's lives? Prayerful for what God is doing in people's lives? Joyful? for what God is doing in people's lives. If we're able to be honest and say, you know what, I don't give God a lot of thanks for what I see him doing in people's lives, and I don't actually pray for what I see God doing in people's lives, and I don't experience joy in my life simply for what he's doing in other people's lives, then perhaps we can see why church at times can be weak. Or church at times can be discouraging because we have shifted our focus to what's in it for me. Imagine the Apostle Paul. Most people believe that Paul is writing this from prison. Imagine sitting in prison with chains around your feet saying, I'm so thankful, I'm so prayerful, and I'm so joyful for you guys. I know God's working in your lives. I know his grace is evident. 
I know he saved you. I know you love Jesus. I know, I know that you're trying to turn from sin. I know you're walking in repentance. I know you're trying to build up the body. I know you're trying to advance the gospel. I know you're talking to people about Jesus. I know you're wanting your life to count. I'm joyful. I'm thankful. I'm prayerful. He's remembering them. Now, he says he's remembering them, and look what he says in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They've got some history together. Let me show you that history. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. You know, one of the things that people always say about reading the Bible is it's hard to understand. They, they don't understand it, and so they, they get discouraged, and they, and they don't, they don't uh, keep going with it. Well, in our men's and women's Bible study that meet on Wednesdays and Thursdays in the mornings, we've been going through Corinthians. And one of the things that I showed the church then is that these letters to the Corinthians find their context and setting from Acts chapter 18 when the apostle Paul had traveled to Corinth. There were no believers in Corinth. He went there and he was working. He started preaching. There was a lot of opposition. There was a lot of fighting. There were people against him. And eventually, by the grace of God, a few people believed. That brought encouragement to Paul. And so then God reveals to Paul in a dream, hey, I want you to stay. Keep staying. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 18 that Paul stayed another 18 months in Corinth. And the result of all of that was the start of the Corinthian church, to which we now have letters to the Corinthians. It's pretty cool. That's their history. Well, we have, this sim we have a very similar thing going on right now with the Philippians. We look at Acts chapter 16. This is the passage that we read earlier in the service. Look at Acts chapter 16. You have Timothy traveling with the apostle Paul. And look at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Listen, y'all, Macedonia is where Philippi is. Look at the next verse, 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, look here, and from there to Philippi. Paul's first trip to Philippi. Paul's first trip to Macedonia. Y'all, at this point in Paul's life, he's not joyful. He's not thankful. He's not prayerful for the Philippians. Doesn't know a single person by name. Doesn't have any history. There are no memories there, right? I can remember when I was living and working in Fairdale, and I didn't know hardly any of you all. There are a very, 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 very few of all, few of you all in the room right now who I was living and serving with in 2003. I was here in Fairdale in 2003 doing Bible studies and preaching the gospel and doing things. I don't remember you all from there. And there was a time where God brought us together. There was a time where something happened, a relationship happened, a Bible study happened, a conversation happened, where we connected, where we bonded, where the church came together, and there we have a history. And Paul is recalling this in the beginning of the letter to the Philippians. In the Philippians chapter 1, he says, um, 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He remembers when their relationship in regards to Jesus began. He remembers when they trusted in Christ. He remembers when they got baptized. He remembers when the church started. He remembered when they said, I want to live for Jesus. He remembers that. Prayerful, he's joyful, and he's thankful. His memory of the gospel's work in the past is his source of joy and strength now. Acts chapter 16, verse 11 tells us that he is in Philippi. All right, let's keep reading there, though. I want you to get more of the context. We remained in this city some days, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Look at this. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Perhaps the very first believer in Philippi, Lydia. Perhaps when Paul is writing back to the Philippians, he has Lydia and her family in mind. It goes on from there to tell the story of Paul and Silas being thrown in prison. You know that story, I think, of the, of the Philippian jailer being converted. But if you don't, let's read it. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed. Does everybody see that? Hey, the next time you're annoyed, be encouraged, right? Even the Apostle Paul got annoyed by people. Paul turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the, magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Check this out. Remember, this is his first trip to Philippi. This is the letter of Philippians. This is who it's written to, okay? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Hey, don't think prison is all that bad, okay? Don't think prison means God's not with you. The prisoners were listening to them. You can be a witness wherever you find yourself. You can be a light in any position. Midnight, praising God in prison, and God's using them. The other prisoners are listening. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer, look at this, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for 
lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Imagine such a beautiful gospel ministry, evangelistic situation, a building of the church, a conversion of people to Christ. In that setting, we should be hopeful. Verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus. Folks, if you're here today and you've not been saved, would you believe in Jesus? Would you know that your soul needs to be saved, that your sins need to be forgiven, that eternity awaits all of us in either heaven or hell, that a relationship with God is available for anybody who would trust in Christ? The question here, what must I do to be saved? The answer here, believe in Jesus. There is nobody that loves you the way God does, as strong and as thorough as God does. And if you will turn from your sins and trust in Christ, you'll be saved, you'll be forgiven, you'll be welcomed into the family of God. He says this to the jailer. The prisoner tells this to the one keeping the prisoners. Imagine. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. Verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he, baptized, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Y'all, this is happening in Philippi. You got the story of Lydia. You got the story of the Philippian jailer. Next thing you know, you've got a couple households, a couple families. Next thing you know, you've got a church being established in Philippi. And before he was called to go there to that Macedonian call early in Acts chapter 16, there was nobody there, right? And now we get to the book of Philippians and he says, man... I am so thankful for you guys. I'm thankful. I'm praying for you guys. I pray for y'all with joy. I'm prayerful. I'm thankful. I'm joyful because we have been in this for a long time. Now, he's not there anymore. He's a missionary. He's long gone. But he writes this letter back to them. And can you imagine the encouragement that comes in Paul's life and the encouragement that comes to the church's life because of the memory of the gospel's work in the past? Would you take a moment to remember how you got to this position. Who baptized you? Who's discipled you? Who prays for you? Who holds you accountable? When you need a good talking, who does that? When you need a build up, who's there for you? And let me spin it just a little bit. Who are you doing that for? And the answering of those questions in a real simple sense, not in a, not in a big, like, uh, overbearing, crush you sense, but in a, in a real practical sense, now that's what it's all about, because of Jesus. Not without Jesus, but because of Jesus. Jesus as the very center of that, the memory of the gospel's work in the past. I'll tell you a big one for me. Let me just be honest. Sometimes it's hard to be a young minister in a church, and y'all are all familiar with that, right? And a lot of times a young minister in a church is, 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 is kind of butting heads and clashing against some of the older people that have been in the church for a long time, right? That happens a lot. And I can't tell you how real it has been to me and my wife, Baletia, that for a long time we've been here and we've felt love and support. Even when I've been a failing pastor, even when I've been struggling, even when I've not considered all that I need to consider for those who have been here way longer than me, we have felt love and understanding. 
Those types of memories toward the gospel's work in the past still build me up now. Paul says, I remember you. Christian, if you want to continue as a follower of Jesus, you gotta be able to remember. You gotta be able to remember what God was doing in your life last year about this time. You gotta be able to remember what God was doing in your life a long time ago. You gotta be able to remember what God did in your life to bring you into this spot, to bring these people together, to bring that encouragement into your life, to strengthen you to where you are. Paul writes a letter to the Philippians and he says, I remember you. And you're thinking, what does he remember? We just read Acts chapter 16. Oh wow, he remembers a lot, doesn't he? He remembers a lot. But it's not only the past that is impacting Paul, the memory of the gospel's work in the past. Number two, it is the meaningfulness of the gospel's work in the present. He says, from the first day until now. This is not just a, let me remember the good old days. One of the ways that churches are struggling big time is that everybody stays upset because things aren't the way they used to be. Things are not gonna be the way they used to be. We gotta be able to say, I'm thankful for what God did now and I'm th- what God did then and I'm thankful for what God's doing right now. That is the way it's got to be. That's the way it's got to be in life. And Paul says that, right? So he remembers, man, when he was in Philippi, they were grinding together, they spent all that time together. He was teaching them, he was discipling them and he's not there. He's not going to allow them to say, Paul, why don't you come back here? Man, things were so much better when you were here, Paul. He doesn't do that to the Corinthians. He doesn't do that to the Philippians. He doesn't let those people say, back when you were here, it was so much better. He says, no. He says, there's one Christ, one Lord, one Savior, one God, one family, one body. Focus on him. But he does say, all the way until now. He does find meaningfulness in the gospel's work in the present, right now. Now, you remember I keep saying that to to love and be loved, to know and be known through Jesus. Well, here's where this really matters. If our focus, let's just be so honest right now. If our focus is Christ, truly Jesus, then there is a lot of meaningfulness right now. Amen? If it is Jesus, There is a lot to find meaning in right now, January the 12th of 2020. If it's not Christ, if it's people, if it's relationships before Christ, if it's experiences, if it's the way you felt 10 years ago, if it's the way you felt last year, if it's those things over and above Christ, then I can see where the meaningfulness has dampened or or, or weakened or lessened. Because listen, folks, life is hard, is it not? Life is hard. We all find ourselves in rainy days and tough seasons. We all have to navigate through life where we're saying, you know what, last year was a little worse than I had thought it would be. Last year was the best year of my life. I can't imagine this year being better, right? We all are feeling those types of things. If you're gonna allow, listen, your feelings and your experiences to determine your faithfulness to Christ, well, guess what? It's gonna be a roller coaster. But if the meaningfulness of the gospel's work in your life is the A1 number one, first and foremost, biggest priority, the number one treasure to you as the Bible teaches us it should be, well, guess what? There is meaningfulness right now. Right now. We're all carrying inside of us a little bit of discouragement. We're all carrying inside of us a little bit of discouragement. 
We just had a Wednesday night service. I asked the church to say, tell me some things we can pray about. Filled up my prayer sheet with like 100 different things. Then I said, tell me something you're encouraged about. Nobody said anything. I said, well, that's not true. There's a lot that you can be encouraged about. I know there's a lot that you're heavy about, heavy burdened about, but there's a lot that you can be encouraged about. When our focus is truly Christ, then we're able to understand the meaningfulness of the gospel's work right now in the present. And he writes that to them. Verse five says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, right now, you are still partners with me in the gospel. You are still advancing the kingdom. I'm not there, but the church of Philippi is there, Paul says. I'm gone, but you're there. You're still moving on. You're still moving forward. You're a real church. You're advancing. Then he says this. Check this out. We know this verse because we do our testimonies with this verse. Verse six. And I am sure of this. How meaningful is this? I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That speaks to past, present, and future, I know. But if you're talking past, present, and future, you're definitely hitting on current, right? God has not quit with you. God is there for you. God is working in you, and he reminds them that. Imagine getting a letter from your first pastor, from your first one that baptized you, from the missionary that came to Philippi and started that church. And imagine getting a letter that says, man, I am confident of this. What he started, he's still doing. Church, be encouraged. Philippians, be encouraged. God who started it is going to complete it. You are in his work. This week, I had one of our young adults who's away at college send me a text. He said, hey man, please pray for me. I'm in the battle, I'm in a struggle, and I'm wanting to be all out for Jesus. I'm wanting to live all out for Jesus right now, and it gets hard at times. Please pray for me. You know what? Because I'd been preparing on this, my mind went back to when we had met. My mind went back to some of the time that we've had together. And you know what? I reminded him, hey, I'll pray for you. And then I said, but I've been praying for you too. You see that? We got a history together. But we've also got the present together. Jesus was working then and Jesus is working now. And Paul finds meaningfulness of the gospel's work in the present. Church, you can never, ever, ever let your faith be in the past. Your faith has to be right now today. I don't know what you've been doing. I don't know how you feel. I don't know how you arrived here today. But it is time now for you to repent of your sins, trust in Christ, believe, and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Right now, today. You know, I'm loving these IMB videos that we're watching. We got some people in our church who are really getting stirred up by those too. God may be raising up some missionaries in the midst of our church simply through that. And I praise God for it. I hope we'll keep giving to it. It looks like we're about to reach our goal of 3,500, but we're going to go the rest of January. And so why not go for $4,000, $5,000? Let's give as much as we can to that, right? Did you hear the guy say that he's helping those people in negative 40 degree weather, right? Did you hear him say that on the video? We should be willing, willing and ready to give him whatever he needs to help him do that, right? He's going to some place in Asia where there are not a lot of people. The people are nomads, and he's telling them about Jesus. You saw the video. It's outstanding. But I want to teach you something, okay? And I'm not sure if we're ready for this, but it's true. I'm talking about the meaningfulness of the gospel's work now. Do you realize that if it's all about Christ for you, that you have more in common those people in that video, not the Americans that we sent there, those Asian people, 
than you do the very people living on your street that you've known for 50 years? Do you know that on the inside of those people, they love the same thing that you love? Do you know that in your deep desires and your real passion for what life is all about for you, it is equal to what theirs is as well? Day in and day out may be a little bit different. Struggle for life may be a little bit different. But the love for God Almighty, our Father in heaven, his son Jesus, our Savior, is at the very center of what it means to be the church, to be a follower of Christ to love his word and depend on his word, to look to his word. That is the very most important thing in our lives and that is the very most important thing in their lives. And there may be people that you went to high school with, that you live on the street with, that you talk to all the time, that you're as close as close can be. You can walk over there next door in the pajamas and borrow milk from them anytime you want to because you're that close. And listen to me, do you realize that because of Jesus, there is more connection, more common bond, more similarity in the heart of believers than there is between a believer and an unbeliever. Now, if you're here today wondering whether that's true, then, 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 then is Christ really at the center? Is heaven really your home? Is eternal life really your desire and your heartbeat? The apostle Paul is not in Philippi, and he writes back to them with joy prayer, thankfulness, because of what it was and because of what it is. Folks, we should be able to say, I love the body of Christ first and foremost because it's Jesus' people, because it is Jesus' work, because it is Jesus' body, Jesus' church. And what I see him doing in my life, I see him doing in the lives of other people, and I rejoice at that. What I want most of all is what we should be saying is for people to love God, is for people to worship him, for people to know and believe and care. And I see that happening now, and that is absolutely so meaningful to me. That's what the apostle writes. He's confident of that. Number one, the memory of the gospel's work in the past. Number two, the meaningfulness of the gospel's work in the present. And then lastly... The motivation of the gospel's work in the future. The motivation of the gospel's work in the future. If Christ is the key, then we should be so motivated because he will always be the key. Christ cannot fail. He remains faithful to the end. He is unstoppable. He sits on his throne he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. That will never, ever change. And that motivates us. Look how he describes it. So you see, he says, from the first day until now. And then in verse 6, he says, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then he just unloads on how his heart feels. Feelings are here. Because of Christ. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. Now, 
There's a chance there that we want to say, well, he just loves them. You know, they've had some good times together. They've had a lot of meals together, and, you know, they, they've been there for him. He visited them in the hospital when they were in the hospital. That just really means a lot to them. There's a chance that we would feel that way, okay? Because we do feel that way. And those are not bad things. I'll have a meal with you all anytime you want to, and I want to be at the hospital with you all anytime I can. But it's not the main thing. Christ is the main thing. Read verse 7 again. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. God has saved you. He has saved me. God has given grace to your heart to forgive you of your sins and he's given grace to my heart to forgive you of your sins. Our lives are defined by grace, he says. There is the supreme connection both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We are centered, united, connected, friends upon the gospel. That is our common bond. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's not just writing a letter from afar as some head of the corporation. He's not the president or the vice president. He's not some senior pastor, leader type that's writing back to them, just making sure they get their letter, right? We get letters all the time from people saying thank you. We get a letter from the IMB saying thank you. We got a letter recently from Franklin Graham for the Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes. They didn't they write those letters. They don't know who we are. I'm glad they send it, but it's a, it's a, it's a stamp of a name and all that. That ain't this. That ain't this. This is a real man, Paul, who was there in Philippi who knows these people, saw their conversion, saw Jesus change their lives, and he's writing back to them saying, hey, the reason why I love you guys so much is because we're in the same situation of grace and gospel being what our lives are all about. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Folks, church can become so many different things. But when it's not that, it's not right. And when it's not that, it's not good. And when it's not that, it's not doing what God wants us to be. God wants us to have memory of the gospel's work in the past, meaningfulness of the gospel's work in the present, motivation of the gospel's work in the future, because we see Jesus in the lives of people, rubbing together, bonding together, spending time together, connecting together, allows us to have a firsthand view, an eyewitness view of what Jesus is doing in each of our lives. That builds up the church because we know that Jesus is the Lord that he says he is. We know he is the Savior that he says he is. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what he does here, listen, he says, I remember you guys, I pray for you, I'm thankful for you, I love the history that we've got, I mean, we've been in this for a long time. And then he tells them, he's still praying for them for what they will become. That's what he's doing there. So he says he prays for them all the time. He's joyful for them all the time. He's thankful for them all the time because he remembers, because he knows. He, he knows that God is still working in them, but he ends this beginning section with what he's praying for them moving forward. 
It's my prayer for you that love may abound more and more. Listen, folks, we need to love each other. And if you don't know the person to love them, you gotta get to know them. If you don't know how to get to know somebody, well, we can teach you. You gotta spend time together. You gotta find out where they are and spend time with them. You gotta ask somebody out to eat. You gotta go over to somebody's house. You gotta show up on a Wednesday night. You gotta serve in a nursery together or serve in the kitchen together. You gotta be around each other so that God stirs your hearts together so that you can love each other and see what Jesus is doing in people's lives. This is what church is. This is what it is. And he's praying that their love for each other will grow. Their knowledge and discernment will grow so that they will be more and more and more like Jesus. Pure, blameless, excellent for Christ. What a neat thing. What a neat thing for us to sit here, read the book of Philippians, and hear him speak about them in this way. You ever gotten a phone call from somebody that you haven't heard from in a while and you think, man, guess who called me the other day? It was so good to hear from them. It's a true story. On my birthday a couple weeks ago, may have been the day before, day after, I can't really remember, but I had a buddy from high school. I graduated high school in 1998. FaceTime me. Do the call where you can see. Like, you never do that. I haven't talked to this guy in forever. I haven't seen him in like 20 years. And all of a sudden, I get a FaceTime. If you get a random FaceTime, you're thinking, they must have accidentally done that. You know what I mean? And I answered it. And my nickname in high school was B. Long story. My last name's Green. Then they called me Green Bean. Then they shortened it to Bean. Then they shortened it to B, all right? My FaceTime's ringing and I'm sitting there with Val at breakfast or something, and I'm like, what in the world? This guy's calling me. And I, I, I clicked on it, and he's like, B! That is it your birthday? And I thought, wow, that's awesome. It's cool to remember somebody and have somebody remember you, isn't it? But you know what's really, really cool? When those feelings have Jesus at the center of them. When your deepest desires in accordance with the truth have Jesus at the center of them. When you can connect with somebody and you know that it's for the glory of God. Church, this is what we are to be. That we love, that we care, that we know, that we're known. We have relationships, both directions, to help us live for Jesus. May the book of Philippians help us do this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we've now moved in a different direction where we can study a New Testament book. Thank you, God, that there is evidence of the gospel's work past, present, and future. Father, I pray that we would be motivated to identify that, not just relationships, but relationships centered on Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us to be able to remember, help us be able to recognize, and encourage us for what's coming in the future. Oh, Father, lead us now to have Christ at the center of our lives, 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we sing this final song, let's, let's give time for ourselves to respond. If you need to trust in Christ, you wanna be saved, forgiven of your sins, I can help you with that right now. If you're looking for a church to be a part of, you want to start the process of you joining our church, then we can, we can help you with that. Like Jake mentioned, we've got a new members class beginning here in February. Anybody can come to that. If you're here today and you need to get yourself focused on the gospel's work in your life or in the church's life, then let's respond now. Let's sing.